Hello and welcome to the Superposition Guys podcast. My name is Yuval, and my guest today is Scott Ferris, CEO of Inflection. Scott and I talk about Inflection's broad product portfolio, CEO tips for turning an organization into a product company, the importance of quantum clocks, capital markets for quantum, and much more. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hello, Scott, and thank you for joining me today. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me. So who are you and what do you do? Wow, that's a big question. Uh, <laughs> so I, I'm Scott Ferris. I'm the uh, CEO of Inflection, uh, a company formerly known as Cold Quanta. Uh, I've, I've been with the company now about a year and a half uh, and uh, really excited to have, have uh, taken on the opportunity. And, uh, you know, uh, for me, uh, what I, my last company was really tackling a hard problem. This is 10 times harder. And And so I, I always run to the hardest problem in the room. And so I'm excited to, to start working on this one. One of the things that appears unique about Inflection is that you've got such a broad product portfolio. Um, maybe you can describe the portfolio and how do you see that playing over time? What's important now? What's going to be important in the future? Sure. So, um, you know, as you recognize, when, when you say the word quantum, people's eyes kind of glaze over and roll the back of their head and What are you talking about? And, and so one of the things I, I've learned over the years is, you know, how do you really describe the business in a way that, 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 that people get? And, um, and the way I've come to describe uh, inflection is we, we have a really simple business model. Uh, all, all that we do is we just sim simply shoot uh, atoms with lasers. Um, that's, that's it. Uh, now, in that is a lot to unpack, and certainly there's a lot in there. But from that, that simple concept of being able to, Uh, identify, capture, trap, manage, manipulate, and measure atoms individually and in, in, in groups. Um, that gives us the ability to, to really do a lot of things. On, on the most complex uh, thing that we're working on is work in our gate-based computer. Um, and, and that's something that we're obviously quite excited about, but something that has a, you know, a roadmap to it, a longer roadmap associated with to, to get to real, real points of uh, productivity. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, um, we do a lot of work in sensors and you know, a lot of the history of the company. The company just celebrated its 16th birthday yesterday. Um, so, you know, Inflection is not a startup in a classical startup sense. We've been around for 16 years. And so um, the first 15 years of that history and journey of the company was in research. Uh, and it was really a lot of research in the area of uh, quantum sensing, um, you know, both uh, quantum sensing from neutral atoms, but also work in ion trap. Um, and as I like to say, we, we've been doing this so long, we've actually had to invent a lot of the, a lot of the basic pieces that, that anybody doing work in neutral atom um, comes to us for the parts and pieces they need to, to, to build their experiments. So uh, if I'm a customer, I can go to you and buy parts and pieces. If I wanted to build my own quantum computer, yeah. I could also buy sensors, right? Or technology sensors? Yeah, so so the way um, you know the way we've kind of uh, migrated the company, um, it, kind of the simple way to think about this again, um, in the early days it was you know doing world class research. Um, we wanted to continue that legacy. We think that's an important part of the business. We've been very fortunate that uh, we've been able to partner with the U.S. government and U.K. government and other governments as well as private companies to to do some of the research. Uh, when I joined a year year and a half ago, it was really with the charge to. You know, how do we, if we look into our trophy case of sensors and prototypes that we've built over the years, which one of those actually have commercial market potential? 
and and how do we think about now really building the commercial company uh, alongside the research business? And so part of the name change actually was really to reflect that uh, we are a commercial company. Uh, we are focused on bringing a product to market, product to market in volume. Um, you know, inflection we thought was appropriate as as a name about what we're about and why we're here. Um, but again, we're also continuing on the research front. And so within Inflection, we have what's called Colquana Labs. Uh, that's our core old research group. And the way to think about it is that um, if you're familiar with Skunk Works at Lockheed Martin, Skunk Works is where they take their hardest problems. And it's a dedicated team of people with just tremendous history. That's really the core of our business is Colquana Labs is our Skunk Works. Um, and that's a model we'll continue to grow and expand. But for us, it's, yeah, uh, right now we're focused on bringing our first generation of optical clocks to market, uh, followed by work that we're doing in Quantum RF and, and then a variety of other things in, in PNT and, uh, and gravity measurement. And again, these are all things that we built prototypes for, but um, we're very thoughtful about it. Um, it's like to say we do lots of things, but we don't do it all at the same time. And so... Right now, our, our focus is really about uh, bringing clocks to commercial scale, uh, really bringing the size, weight, and cost down so that uh, that we can build networks of clocks. Give me a tip as a CEO. I mean, is it difficult to turn an organization from a research mindset into a product mindset? You know, what's involved in it and what would you advise others that might be trying to do the same? It, it, it is difficult and it's really difficult with a company that's been really great at being a research company for 15 years because that is that is the DNA of the company. And for me, this was a unique opportunity um, because I, I saw the the level of research uh, and accolades and respect that the this organization had. Um, and we didn't want to destroy that. And, and typically in a startup, you, know, you go through an early research phase where you're trying to figure out what you want to build. Um, you eventually triangulate on an opportunity and then the researchers need to become product people. They, they themselves need to go through a transformation. One of the things that is unique about what we're doing here, as I said, is we're preserving that, that research legacy through Colquanta Labs. We, we want those physicists continuing to push forward on really defining the boundaries of what quantum sensing machines could look like, what quantum computing looked like. And we're building a commercial organization next to it. Um, that's a unique way of doing it. Um, but you know, I think in terms of advice, culture is is key. Uh, culture is key. Nomenclature is key. Um, you know, in a research company, you have PIs. In a commercial company, uh, you have product line managers, and and so just even titles uh, make a big difference in how a company thinks about itself. Um, the reality is, is that, and I've done this my entire career. I've, I've uh, done seven or eight large spinouts. Um, the reality is, most companies don't make it to the other side. You know, the, the casualty rate is like 90%. Um, and it, it, a lot of it has to do with culture. A lot of it has to do with commitment of just, we're going to be a commercial company. And early days of my career, I was working for a company that at that time would have been called an SBIR mill, for example. You know, we were living on three or $4 million a year of SBIR funding. This was in the 90s. And so, you know, that's a lot of money then. Um, and we made the decision to go cold turkey. And because we knew that the, you know, once you're in that SBIR process, the whole mentality of the company is let's go get another grant to last another couple quarters. And, and we made a conscious decision that the only way to stop that was to basically stop writing proposals, focus on commercial product and live or die by whether we could sell anything. Uh, I've seen that happen time and time again, but it's, it's that kind of a really dramatic cultural shift that, that a company needs to, to figure out how to navigate through. 
You mentioned clocks, and I can understand why clocks are useful in a GPS setting, but where else would they be useful, and why is that an interesting business? Um, everywhere. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny. When I, when I joined, um, I was with well, clocks. It's, you know, it's thinking of my, you know, my iWatch. Or, you know. the, the reality is, is that everything is calibrated against time today. Uh, financial markets, data centers, uh, databases, uh, everything uh, has timestamps associated with transactions. Um, that's to to ensure integrity of a transaction, to allow matching of transactions. And so if you think it, we live in a digital world, everything is a transaction in the digital world. Everything needs to be validated. And, and again, as we start thinking about machine learning and AI, the amount of data, what we do with data and the ability to manipulate things in a positive way and a negative way uh, requires more and more integrity. The, the foundation of integrity is time. We knew something happened at a particular point of time. And, and you know, as we started thinking about that, it, it became more than, okay, well, yeah, this is, this I need this so my car knows where it is or I know where my car is. And you know, I spent seven years in the autonomy business. And again, one of the, one of the fatal flaws in, in that business is you couldn't rely on GPS. You know, I know when you drive into, you know, crowded cities, you lose your GPS signal. And so, so this idea of really thinking about time and, and, and re, you know, recreating time um, as, a, as a new standard is, is really what we've started to push on. Um, with atomic clocks, optical atomic clocks, you can tell time a thousand times more efficient, 10,000 times more efficiently. But I think more importantly is that you can distribute time differently. Right now, time comes from GPS constellations. It's, it's a byproduct of PNT, of, of precision navigation. You need timing. The T in PNT is timing. Um, but, but you know, as we've seen with what's going on in the Ukraine um, and what we've seen going on elsewhere, a space-based time distribution system is no longer robust. Uh, and in fact, one of the challenges, it takes time to get time here. So when you broadcast a signal <laughs> from a satellite to, to the Earth, it takes time. And that, that latency is now actually becoming a barrier as well. And so what our view is, is that time needs to be rethought. It needs not to be more accurate. It needs to be more reliable. And you get there through uh, terrestrial and space time distribution infrastructure, which now means you need lots and lots of precision clocks, like tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of clocks, highly distributed, highly networked, uh, which now means the clocks need to be inexpensive. They need to be robust and they need to be accurate. And that's really, we can do the precision piece um, the challenge now in clocks is how do we make them small and expensive? And this is really what we're, this is what we're focused on at, at inflection is not only inventing the clocks, but how do we make them in high volume at really low cost? At the other end of the scale, you make quantum computers, so you're building quantum computers. Now, some would say, and I know the counter argument, but would love to hear your perspective. Some would say that companies should focus, right? That you can't do clocks and sensors and software and quantum computers and many other things. Where is the synergy? Is that because it's all laser shooting at atoms? Is that because it's the same customer that needs everything? How do you see the synergies? Uh, you, you, so you hit the nail on the head. Again, this is, goes back to my, after being in the company six months, is we just shoot lasers at atoms, whether we're building a computer whether we're building a clock, whether we're building an RF receiver, it's the same fundamentals. Um, again, it, I oversimplify it, but but in, in reality, um, it's a photonics problem. 
Um, again, if you look in, particularly in the neutral space, the, the ion trap space, to a large degree, the, the industry is really being driven by a handful of laser companies that are providing scientific grade lasers uh, for this particular purpose. And that's great for research purposes. Uh, but to really make these things industrialized, to make them hardened, to make them scalable, and really to, to make them uh, more reliable, um, the photonics ecosystem around the cores, the photonic cores, or the the, uh, the atomic cores need to shrink. They, they, they need to become smaller. They need to become tightly packed. Uh, the lasers need to be better. And, and so in our particular case, what's really unique about our business model is that we're investing heavily in what I call the photonic core. Uh, our CTO uh, is a laser guy. He's a photonics guy. He's an AMO physicist, uh, but he spent 20 years building industrial product and in, in laser systems. And, and that was really a recognition on our part that we have a tremendous amount of people looking at the quantum physics issues. We were unbalanced in the people looking at the underlying issue, which was the photonics problems. And, and so you know, for the advancements that we're making and shrinking down the sensors, making them more robust, packing more lasers in, um, we've been smart about it that that roadmap actually supports the underlying roadmap for our computer work. So the better we get at lasers and everything we do, the better the computer gets. You mentioned that you were at the you were at the company for about a year and a half and came from a different field. What is the thing that most surprised you, you know, when in the company or when in the market relative to where you thought was going to be going in? Uh, I, I would say two things. Uh, a pleasant surprise is is how similar it was to what I just did. <laughs> it, it, it's it's the same problems, right? It, it's it's in many cases it's it's tapping into the same networks of people. Um, again, the color of light changed. We have a different wave, set of wavelengths that we're working with now. Uh, these are unique wavelengths for, for quantum. Um, but the fundamentals, the lasers need to be packaged. They need to be smaller. Again, everything I just talked about uh, applied really for my last three companies. And, and one of the things when I looked at this company and I looked at the risks associated with it, I didn't really see this as a risk. Uh, I think others see it as a risk because they don't necessarily know where to go to find all of these capabilities. And again, they don't they don't exist with a billboard. Uh, they but they exist. They exist. You know, my last company was in the lidar industry. Again, we didn't shoot lasers at atoms. We shot lasers at tires 300 meters away in the middle of the night, moving 70 miles an hour. Uh, we need to be really good at doing that. Otherwise, you know, lives are in danger. Here, we need to shoot them at atoms. We need to be good at that. Um, and so the people that solve those types of problems uh, can kind of move from industry to industry. In fact, we're starting to see more LIDAR people move into the quantum industry because of this. Um, you know, I think the uh, I think the surprise in terms of the um, I say that the other surprise, the other side of the spectrum was this issue of culture. Um, and, uh, you know, this, you know, it was a 15 year old startup. And as I said earlier, the culture was deeply embedded. It was ingrained in everybody. And that was great. Everyone's passionate about quantum. But ultimately, the, the understanding of quantum research versus quantum product um, was a much harder road to traverse, um, not because the people aren't smart, not because the people aren't really uh, passionate about what they do. It's just it was, it's, a, it's such a different world. Um, and words matter. Uh, I, I joke that, um, you know, I say the word quality. And, you know, quality in a commercial company and quality in a research organization is the same word. They mean entirely different things. And, and so you have to recognize that, uh, you know, that even words and how you use them and how you think about things and present ideas to the research team to say, hey, we need to build a quality organization. They say, wait, a minute, we have one. 
something. Well, no, that's that works for you know prototypes. It does not work. We can't repeat problems, right? The quality system now has to catch things because if we make ten thousand of something, that's expensive to to mess up. If we if it's just one of something, that's recoverable. So um, that to me was kind of an, an exciting personal journey. Uh, just really having to relearn a lot of things and. You know, frankly, as a CEO, how to kind of get people to, to kind of come along and see the, the bigger picture. We see a lot of fluctuations in the capital markets, you know, stock markets up and down, uh, public quantum computing companies may have not preserved the value that they had during their IPO. Uh, lots of money being spent in Europe and maybe less so in the U.S. How worried are you about that um, when you're trying to build so many different things that obviously require a lot of money. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, the, the, the bottom line is this is deep tech, right? Deep tech's hard. It's expensive. Um, you know, I think one of my personal frustrations uh, in the United States over the last 30 years is uh, we've lost our appetite. Um, and in many cases, we, we've actually lost the knowledge of how to invest in deep tech. Um, it, it's hard. It's bumpy. It's by nature. These are the hard problems. Um, again, I my nature is I love going to the hardest problem in the room and see that as a challenge. Um, and this is why I, I, I do things like this. But um, it does require patient capital. It does require visionary capital. Um, again, um, it, it, it a good example is just simply building a production prototype. Uh, you know, in a traditional venture model would be okay. Great. Uh, now we can hand it off to someone to make it, um, you know, spend someone else's capital to figure out how to make it. The reality is, is no one knows how to make it. And, and so not only do we have to invent the product, we have to invent the way to make it. In many cases, we have to invent parts of the supply chain that don't exist. And, and we have to onshore parts of the supply chain um, because there's also a national security aspect of this that's quite critical. So we have to onshore capabilities as well. That's not a traditional, you know, kind of venture investment model. That is a model where sovereign wealth funds and, and kind of non-traditional investors uh, look at uh, look at the return for create literally creating an industry. I mean, we're not innovating on top of something that trying to make it better. We're creating an entirely new industry from scratch. And this is in many ways we're sitting in the fifties and sixties thinking about the semiconductor industry of today. And I think that's one of the challenges on compute, frankly, is that, you know, we're sitting in the 1960s thinking about these multi-core processors that we get, you know, we, we take for assumption today. Again, they're all possible, but the ecosystem doesn't exist. The supply chain doesn't exist. There's a lot of, in some cases, different modalities. There's material sciences that need to be solved. They're all solvable in time, but it's a long, long investment. What I liked about what we do is that in terms of the, the neutral atom space, um, is everything that we need to do to build anything already exists. Uh, we don't have to go and invent stuff and material science. It's already there. We have to figure out how to make it purposeful for what we need it to do because it's, it's a general capability. Again, lasers are a great, great example. People are using these scientific lasers because they're highly tunable because you can't buy you know, lasers specifically for quantum. Um, market's not there. We, this is the, cat, the traditional crossing the chasm challenge. Um, and we as a company, have, you know, we're pushing forward to say, look, it's not only about inventing the product, but it's also about how do you make the product? And so um, that takes us into thinking about how we collect capital on a global basis. But like I said, at the, at the end of the day, there, the efficiency in the model is if we're solving the photonics roadmap and we're doing it intelligently, um, that's 80% of the problem that we have for, for, for most of our product portfolio. 
As we get closer to the end of our conversation today, I wanted to see if there are a couple of customer projects that you're particularly proud of or particularly happy to describe on, on the various things that you do. Yeah, so I think, you know, um, you know we have a great announcement at, at Q2B um, with our super tech division in partnership uh, with Morningstar, uh, starting to think about on the software side. So we, again, we also have a, a software stack, a software layer, an application layer to the organization. Uh, I, I'm particularly excited about and proud about that. Um, again, that team did tremendous work. Again, it, it's early indications of what business models could be. Um, but you know, also uh, at the at the same event, um, Epri had had run a competition for white papers, and one of our white papers, uh, I think it came in in second place, was thinking about quantum sensing networks and managing grid infrastructure, and thinking about how we could use clocks to do that, and how time as a service for grid infrastructure could transform the security and the efficiency of grids. And and so again, as we think about quantum, it's it's not like what's the hardest problem in the world we could throw at a quantum computer, right? Like those computers won't exist for a while. What can we do with today's infrastructure and today's capabilities uh, may not even require compute, but could require some of the, the algorithm talent that's working on the compute problem, but now looking at sensing, looking at distributed time networks, uh, looking at distributed networks for quantum RF, for example, uh, and, and applying those same learnings around compute into these other areas. What's nice about that is we're also continuing to learn about compute as we do that, um, but we're doing it in a way where we have near-term products. We can start to drive revenues at scale, um, and again, in the background, continue to collect this learning and, and apply it into our, our compute efforts. And a hypothetical question: If you could have dinner with one of the quantum greats, dead or alive, who would that? Well, that's a good question. Uh, well, uh, I don't. You know, I don't know. That's a that's a really good. <laughs> That's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I, to me, I think uh, I'm going I'm to turn the table on you. Um, I, it, again, this isn't, in my view, this isn't a quantum problem. This is a business problem. And I, I think that when I, my first interview when I came on board was my first day on the job, my, my first hour on the job, actually, that was asked this question is like, I'm looking at your credentials here and, and um, I don't see that you're a physicist. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't see that you actually have any technical or engineering background and best I can tell you're a finance person. I'm like, yes. And the question became, why is a finance person qualified to run a quantum company? And I'm like, because we got a lot of brilliant quantum people working on the quantum problem, but we got to figure out how to turn this into a business. And, and that's what I do. I engineer the creation of high value, high growth businesses. Um, and so to turn the question around, the one person I would want to have dinner with is Elon Musk, because the way he thinks about problem solving and the way he you know, is, is committed to these leap of faith, we need these leap of faith thinking moments in quantum to make it real. Why? Because it is that hard. You know, we were faced 99 percent of the time we're faced with failure. It is hard to keep going on day after day after day when it is so hard and so expensive and there's failure after failure, but we need to do this. We have to do this. We have to do this because of national security reasons. We have to do this because this is the future. We have to do this because the semiconductor roadmap is coming to an end. It's getting more and more expensive to extend Moore's law. And, and so again, we have to push through this and it just requires a very different type of leadership and thinking to drive through these hard problems. One of our corporate values is grit. And we debated a lot about that. 
But but grit is absolutely important, imperative, and necessary to make this happen. Um, and that's why we said this is one of our values: is that you know, we will persevere, we will push through despite the adversity. Um, and that's a leadership challenge. I certainly hope you will, Scott. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time.